Thank you. If you turn with your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. And this is uh, going to uh, conclude the uh, series that I've been doing, going to various passages of Scripture. I've kind of given it my own title of uh, familiar Bible text. Some have been more familiar than others. Now, this has always been a special text for me. The, the first sermon I preached in seminary was from this text. And uh, this is not that sermon, by the way. Um, but just a little, little personal story. Back in the day, you know, I went to seminary back when, you know, RTS has campuses all over the country now. There's only RTS in Jackson. And uh, it was back in the early days, and they had uh, they contracted with a speech teacher from Belhaven. Bui Bowden was her name. Tall, distinguished-looking woman. And uh, she would critique our speech, you know, the, our mechanics in our our sermons and uh, you had to preach your sermon before the class and then the class would evaluate you and your professor would evaluate you and then you would spend some time with <coughs> Buey Bowden that was in the early days of videotaping and they would videotape your sermon and you'd, we'd meet in this little dark room with Miss Bowden and she would go over our sermons and I remember I remember sitting there with her the first time somewhat intimidated but hoping she'd have good things to say about my sermon she didn't deal with the content. She dealt with the delivery. And finally she said, you know, I'm getting seasick. I said, why is that? She said, because you just keep rocking back and forth. And she said, it's just making me seasick. And I have never forgotten that. So if I feel myself rocking, sometimes I'll grab hold of the pulpit just to keep myself in place. But that was uh, my first introduction with this text from Hebrews chapter 4. Next uh, Lord's Day is Palm Sunday. We're going to be, I'm going to try to, to look at the last week of, of Jesus' life next Lord's Day. Starting with the triumphal entry and going through the crucifixion. Trying just to look at, at that, that last week of Jesus' life. And We are going to have the Lord's Supper uh, next, uh, next Lord's Day. So be uh, in prayer for that, in preparation for that. And then we will celebrate Easter together uh, two weeks hence. But we're at uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask again for your blessing upon us, that you would be with us and that you would help us as we look at this portion of your word. It's just three verses, Father, but they're so rich, so full. And I pray that they would be rich to us today as we look at them. That you would feed us from them. That you would help us to glean from these verses some encouragement in our walk with Christ, our relationship with him, as we see more of who he is and what he's done for us and what he continues to do for us. And his ministry is our great high priest, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, if you were to open a book on systematic theology, that's a, a book that kind of systematically organizes and looks at different aspects of doctrine or theology. If you were to take a, to take a, a book on systematic theology and open it and turn to the section on the person and work of Christ, you would find there that typically we say that Christ holds and performs three different Offices, the office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. Now, each of those offices that Christ holds are all prefigured, foreshadowed, and anticipated by those who held those offices in the Old Testament. The prophets, of course, in the Old Testament were God's spokesmen, weren't they? They spoke the word of God to the people of God. The kings ruled over God's people. Now there were many kings of Israel in the Old Testament, some good and some bad. And the character of the king most often would determine the character of the lives that people lived. You know, where there was a good king, the people prospered and they were blessed. The bad king, the people suffered and they went through difficult times. The priests were those who stood before God on behalf of the people. Uh, They interceded with God for the people. They would offer sacrifices to God to atone for the sins of the people. The people could not go to God on their own. They had to come through the priest. Now you see, all of that corresponds to the work of Jesus. As our prophet, Jesus not only reveals the word, he is the word. What does John tell us? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Then he goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we know God the Father by knowing God the Son who is the Word and who reveals God to us. As our King, Jesus rules over us. He woos us and subdues us to come to faith in Jesus. He directs and guides our lives. King Jesus rules over his people by his sovereign power. And as our priest... Jesus makes it possible for us to be forgiven. You don't have to come through a human priest to come to God the Father, but you have to come still through a priest. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who intercedes for us. He's the one who atones for our sin, not just by making a sacrifice or offering a sacrifice, but by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin. We sang just a moment ago about Jesus, the Lamb of God. And he is just that. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The book of Hebrews probably says more about the work of Jesus as our great high priest than any other book in the Bible. 
the, this book was written to Jewish Christians, and they had started off well, it appears, were pursuing spiritual things earnestly. But then they began to waver in their commitment and in their faith, and they began to struggle. And so to a great extent, the book of Hebrews is a book of encouragement, encouraging believers to hold on to their profession of faith in Christ, not to give up. And throughout the the book of Hebrews, you find those kinds of exhortations. Let us press on. Let us endure. Let us hold on. And the way that the writer of Hebrews does that is by presenting to them the excellence of Christ. And showing them that Christ is better than anything else they have experienced in their lives. Anything else they have used spiritually to help them to grow closer to God. Christ is better than all. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Aaronic priesthood. God has provided a new and better way. In these last days, the writer of Hebrews starts in chapter 1. God has spoken to us through his Son. And Christ is our mediator. He is our sacrifice. He is our priest, our mediator before God. We want to look at these verses kind of as a whole as we begin verses 14 through 16 of chapter 4. You see these verses form two cause and effect relationships. If you look at the text, you'll find there are two exhortations. One is found in verse 14, where the writer of Hebrews says this at the end of verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. Then you find a second exhortation in verse 16, the first part of it. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Those are the two things we're told to do in those three verses. One is hold fast our confession. The other is to to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And what I want you to see is that both of those exhortations are built upon the truth or the fact that Jesus is our high priest. Look with me again at verse 14, where he says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, then let us hold fast our confession. Same thing in verses 15 and 16, where he says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, on the basis of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, because he is our priest, let us draw near the confidence to the throne of grace. And so it's clear here in these three verses, Jesus is our great high priest, and it impacts and affects our relationship with him and how we live our lives lives as believers. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is look at both those exhortations and see how Jesus being your great high priest impacts both of them. So first, what about this exhortation to hold fast to our confession? What is this confession to which we're to hold on so dearly at the end of verse 14 where he says, let us hold fast our 
confession. Well, it's the it's confession of the gospel, isn't it? Well, what, is, what does Paul say in Romans 10? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that is the great confession that we all must make if we're going to receive the gift of salvation. So this confession of faith here, this confession that the writer of Hebrews tells us to hold on so tightly to, is that Jesus is the Son of God, He is the promised Messiah, He was sent as the Son by the Father, that He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, that He rose on the third day in victory over sin and death, that He ascended into heaven, where He now sits at God's right hand, ever to make intercession for His people, and that one day He is coming again. That is the confession of faith in Jesus to which we are to hold on so tightly. We don't use it in our order of worship, but the Apostles' Creed is a clear statement of the confession that we make and to which we are to hold on. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick or the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic or Universal Church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. That's it. When the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast our confession, that's what he's talking about. To hold fast to what we believe to be the foundational, principal truths of the gospel, which enable us to know God as our Heavenly Father. Well, that's the exhortation. What I want you to notice, however, is the reason why the writer of Hebrews gives us that exhortation. And the reason is because, again, Jesus is our great high priest. Look again at what the text says, verse 4. Therefore, because of this, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, then let us hold fast our confession. It is because Jesus is our priest, 
because he's passionate the heavens, because he is the Son of God, that we are to hold fast this confession with such great conviction. See, the work of Jesus as our priest is at the very heart of the gospel. The Old Testament Israel was built upon a priestly sacrificial system. As I said earlier, the people could not, did not, were prevented from coming to God on their own. And of course, it was the tabernacle, later the temple, that symbolized God's presence among them. And that's where they symbolically came to God. But they could only come through specific means and methods. And those specific means and methods involved usually a sacrifice they brought with them to the sanctuary and it involved the priest who would take that animal or that sacrifice, go into the holy place, once a year go into the holy of holies and present that sacrifice to God on behalf of the people that they might be forgiven. And of course all of that prefigures the work of Jesus as our great high priest. And again, who is not only the one who offers a sacrifice, but who is himself the sacrifice, who offered himself not just as the priest, but as the lamb, who gave himself in our place on the cross that we might be forgiven. You see, in the Old Testament, the priest, the work of the priest was so the people might know their sins were forgiven and they might have fellowship with God. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? The work of Jesus, our priest, enables us to know for certain that our sins are forgiven and that we can have fellowship with God. Now, just stop right there a moment. You can take everything else in your life away. Everything of significance, everything of importance, everything of consequence. And if you have those two things, the assurance that your sins are forgiven and that you can have fellowship with God, you have enough. Because isn't that the real purpose for which we were made? And isn't that the reason why Jesus came? So that our sins might forgiven, be forgiven and we might have fellowship with God. And that's what Jesus does as our great high priest. See, our zeal in holding on so fast to our confession is increased by the fact that this great high priest not only has offered himself on the cross as our sacrifice for sin, but he has passed the heavens. You're Wednesday night in the session by R.C. Sproul. He talked about the session of Jesus. How after Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's called, theologically, that's called the session. Where Jesus sat down in a place of power. But see, Jesus didn't just sit there to rule. Jesus sat there at the right hand of his Father to intercede pray for you. We talk about the finished work of Jesus. 
You know, Jesus on the cross, as we'll see next week, said, it is finished. That part of his redeeming work was finished. The sacrifice was finished. But his work as a mediator continues at the right hand of his Father. He functions as our priest, interceding for us continually before the throne of God. Listen to the great words, or the words of this great hymn, written by Charles Wesley. Describes the work of Jesus as our great high priest. Listen to them. He says, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atones for every race. His blood atones for every race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Or let that ransomed sinner die. That's what Jesus is doing as your great high priest before the throne of his Father right now. And the writer of Hebrews says that fact gives you great confidence, greater zeal in holding fast to your confession of faith in him. But there's a second exhortation. Sound again at uh, the beginning of verse 16, where it says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let's let those words sink in for just a moment. You know, sometimes, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes we just read the Bible too quickly. We read it too fast. Without stopping to think about what it is we just read. And this is one of those phrases in the Bible where it's so easy to just read over it so quickly. Without realizing the full ramifications of what it's telling us. The Bible tells us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Look, folks, this is an open invitation. It's an open invitation for you as God's child to come before his throne, to come before his throne of grace and to approach not just the throne, but to approach the one who sits on the throne, 
to approach God Himself and to do it with confidence, not hesitantly, not timidly, not fearfully, but confidently, knowing that God welcomes you there. And the fact that you can come before the throne of grace with such confidence is all tied up with the fact that Jesus is your great high priest. Look again at the text, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let's look at this a little closer. The text says that Jesus is our priest and that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Never minimize the impact or the effect of the incarnation where God became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man. And in becoming a man, he experienced the same things you and I experienced. He experienced heat and gold. He was out in the rain. And in the burning heat of the sun. He experienced disappointment and frustration, joy and sorrow. Cold and heat, thirst and hunger. Strength and weakness. He had a body just like ours. He did become flesh. He dwelt among us. And because of that, he can sympathize with what you are going through. We have a sympathizing Savior. And one of the reasons he's so sympathizing is because he has lived life himself. Lived in the flesh. He understands you. He understands your circumstances. He understands it because he's lived it. Then the text goes on to say, in verse 15, he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. I want you to see the force of that. The text says Jesus has been tempted in all things in the same way that you are. Now, even though Jesus maintained his deity while he was on earth. And you know the, the incarnation is a difficult thing for us to grasp and understand. Because God became flesh and dwelt among us. But he was still God. He had two natures. God and man. His human nature was real. He was a real human nature. And therefore his temptations were real temptations. What does the text say? He's been tempted in all things as we are. Now, I don't know about you. My temptations are real temptations. Sometimes temptation comes at me with a vengeance. And it draws me away and leads me into sin. Sometimes temptation comes upon me in a flash. Leads me to make rash and unwise 
spur-of-the-moment decisions. Sometimes I toy with the temptation. I mull it over in my mind, allowing it to take greater hold on my mind and my heart. And so I take great comfort when I read in this text, Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Are you tempted to take something that doesn't belong to you? So was Jesus. Are you tempted to lust? So was he. Are you tempted to take the Lord's name in vain? Be angry? Impatient? So was he. He was tempted in all things. As we are. But the difference was... He didn't fall to them. He didn't sin. Tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So when you are tempted, Jesus understands. He knows those temptations. And he can pray for you. Is praying before the throne of his father did you be able to resist them and so because we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God and because we have this great high priest who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin we are encouraged and exhorted to come before the throne of grace with confidence Again, Jesus was not just the one who offered the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. And not just a sacrifice, but he was the holy and perfect sacrifice. The spotless Lamb of God. Who there intercedes for us. Well, why do we come with such confidence to the throne of grace? Well, the text tells us. It's so that we might receive mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. What is it that normally comes to your mind? Just just think for a moment. When someone mentions the throne of God, what is it that usually comes to your mind first? I'll be honest. When I think of the throne of God, I normally think of Isaiah's vision of God on the throne described in Isaiah 6. There where he sees God on the throne and uh, God is attended by the six-winged creatures, the, the seraphim, and they're calling back and forth antiphonally to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You remember Isaiah's reaction to that? His response was, woe, woe, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts on his throne. Many times when we think of the throne of God, we think of God's throne of judgment, don't we? That great white throne. It's real. Where every person one day will come to give account of what they have done in the body, whether good or bad. 
and where those who are apart from Christ will be cast into outer darkness. And where one day every knee, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I want you to see how the writer of Hebrews describes the throne in our text. It's the throne of grace. It's a throne from which we receive the grace of God. And look at why we come. We come so we might receive grace. We might receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Mercy has to do with our sin. It's the way God deals with us in our sin. God being rich in mercy, the Bible says, forgives us of our sin. Now grace also has to do with salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2 tells us. For by grace are you saved through faith, but grace has to do with help. So many times we pray, and we pray for grace, don't we? We pray for for grace to deal with this difficult situation. To deal with our trials and tribulations. To deal with our hardships and our frustrations. We pray for grace. What we're praying for is help. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that we, we come to the throne of grace to receive mercy. And to find grace to help when just when we need it in our time of need I know sometimes we feel alone we feel like we're out there we've got these problems and they're kind of building up on us what I want you to know today is that you have a great high priest one who has offered himself as a sacrifice for your sin who's sits before the throne of God is his right hand now to intercede for you based upon his work of redemption on your behalf and who daily, moment by moment, pleads for you according to whatever personal need you have at the moment. And that gives you great encouragement to, to hold on fast to what you know to be true and to come with confidence to the throne of grace that you might indeed receive mercy and find grace to help when you need it. The last verse of that hymn I mentioned earlier by Charles Wesley says this, My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. So, with confidence, I now draw nigh. With confidence, I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. You see, on that throne is your heavenly Father. And he calls on you as his children to come with confidence to his throne of grace to receive mercy 
and find grace to help. Don't hesitate. Don't fear. Don't be timid. But come. And he'll give it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. You are a great God who does great things for your people. We rejoice today in the fact that you've given your son to be our great high priest. And all that entails and all that means to us. And so encourage us with it. Help us to hold fast our confession. Help us to draw near with confidence to your throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find the help that we need when we need it. We thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen.